This morning, we're going to look at God's word on how God made everything. You know, for years and years, I worked in a body shop and on my toolbox, I have a little bumper sticker and I still have it on there. It says, God put it all together. Well, God did put it all together and he not just put it together because of the world, but he put it together for you. That's why all these things were created. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to Genesis chapter one. It's the very first chapter in the Bible. Now we started last week and we got as far as the second day of creation. And again, something important to realize is this. The Bible didn't say that God got out his toolbox and began to build everything. The Bible said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, why is that important? Because the power in the name of the spoken word of God is so important in a believer's life. This is where God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary in our life. And this is why all of us need to always be reminded that we have an extraordinary God that specializes in making something from nothing. Now, again, the word bara in the Bible, God made the heavens and the earth. The word made means to create from nothing. And it's interesting as we study scripture, and though the Bible's not really a science book, it's full of science and explanations of things that we're just now discovering. And one of the things that we find is that everything that we see is made of atoms. Depending on what the nucleus of the atom is, all those things, depending on whether it's fabric or metal or steel or you, all those things. And we find that it's just electron particles that are charged. And this is what, uh, when they came to the understanding of what an atom was, they come along with the idea, if we could split the atom, we could release energy because by nature, what is holding the nucleus of an atom together? Like charges repel. You remember back in first, second grade, you know, they had the magnets with the north and the south, and you try to put the two south poles together and you go boing, boing, and you go, wow, that's weird. You can't see anything there that's repelling that, but yet they repel each other because like charges repel. The center of an atom is like charges. They really don't know what holds the center of an atom together. We do, because the Bible says God put it all together. But they really don't know. And depending on how many electrons and protons are all comprised in that atom depends on what it is. And yet it's nothing more than energy condensed. Now, when you stop to think about that for a minute, God says he made everything from nothing, compressed energy, and here is the stuff we use every day. That's God. Only God can do that. God is the only one who can make something from nothing. Good news is, You're a something, and God wants to do even more with you than you know about yourself. And this is one of the reasons why, when the more we know about God, the more you're going to know about you, that you weren't just created on this planet to exist and fill space, but you were actually put on this planet, not a cosmic accident, but a divine providence of God. No one has ever been like you ever before on this earth. No one will ever be like you ever again on this earth. You are here for a unique divine purpose. And here's one of the reasons why we need the Bible. 
This is what makes the Bible different than every other religious book on the play on the, the face of this planet. And that's because in God's understanding, God wants to reveal to you who he is and who you are. And in Jesus Christ, you as a born again believer. And if you're not a born again believer, I pray that the day by the time you leave, you'll see your need for God. But once you become a born again believer... God uses you to accomplish his will. In other words, your real calling. Oh, you might be a carpenter. You might be a seamstress. You might be something else. But when we truly come to Christ, God shows us why we're here to fulfill his divine purpose. Now, again, apart from God, you'll never know that. That's hidden from people's eyes. This is why Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of the book of John, he said, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Why is that? Because we have to have a conversion in our mind and in our soul and in our spirit to be able to link with God's heart. Like this morning, for instance, during the worship. And I don't know how many people, really, you could sense the Holy Spirit here in a very special way this morning. And, and, and because of that, that's where your heart links with God's heart. And you go, God, I just, I just want to get more like you. I just want to have my purposes more like you. Because I realize the things of this world never fulfill your soul. And, and, and so even though we might have temporary pleasure for something we might do, it doesn't last. Well, the Bible tells us why we're here, where we're going, where we've been, and eventually eternity with him. Now, as you look at this in uh, Genesis chapter 1, we find some interesting things here. God created the earth. Most of us know, according to the scripture, he created the earth and everything in it, all people, all, all everything in six days on the seventh day he rested. Now, here's an interesting thought. Why didn't God just go, be complete, whammo, and it's all there, all done? You know why? I believe God's showing us something. God shows us that just in his creation of things has a process and steps and sometimes time involved. God does the same in our life as well. I like sometimes to just say, oh God, I need this, I need that, and wabboo, it's all done. No, that's not the way usually it works. Why is that? Because in the process of God answering our prayers, God accomplishes much more than we know. I call it sometimes faith-building exercises. And this is one of the things God does, is in the process of time, God reveals to us who He is. And I think a lot of times we wouldn't appreciate everything if it was just all of a sudden a whammo thing, but rather, wow, God, you actually have a pattern that you follow when you created the earth and when you answer the prayers in my life. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, We ask you now that your invisible Holy Spirit would cause these words to not just be ink on paper, but Lord, as your word says, these are alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, that they would go and do what you have purposed them to do, and we would not forget them. In Jesus' name, amen. We remember again last week that um, we ended with the second day. Let's start in verse 9. 
And it says, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. I like that. God saw that it was good. Now, I think this is important. We're going to get in here a little bit of theological understanding here, because I don't believe that Satan had revolted at this time and he was thrown down to the earth and we've been putting up with him ever since. You know, we all run into this issue because God said it was very good. You know, a lot of people have wondered what caused the rebellion of Satan. We find it recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 14, where the Bible says Satan was beautiful in all of his ways until one day pride filled his heart and he said, I will ascend and be as the most high God. And the Bible says he rebelled against God. And interestingly enough, as we study the scriptures, we find a third of the angels rebelled with him. Why was that? Many people believe it's simply hidden in scripture. God was going to make human beings a little lower than the angels. I don't think that bothered the devil. I don't think that bothered any of the angelic beings. But then the Bible says, as God, I believe, revealed his plan, God living in all times present, as we find in Revelation chapter 2. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning in the end, first and the last. God lives in all times present. The plan was revealed that God was going to take this secondary creation known as human beings, and those that chose to love him, he would elevate above the angels, and the Bible says, call them his son's bride, Jesus Christ's bride. That's who you are in Christ. Now that I don't believe set well with the devil, and I don't believe it set well with a third of the host of heaven. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 6, it says that don't you know someday you'll judge angels. Why would we judge fallen angels? Do you realize, I believe that when we see the handiwork of the devil in this world, we see the destruction, we see lives ruined, we see our kids hurt, we see our parents torn up. I believe the devil has been working to destroy humankind ever since the beginning. And I believe every time the devil looks at a human being, he goes, why is that? Because you supplanted his dominance in heaven. The archangels were mighty. They were powerful. You have uh, Michael, you have Gabriel, you had probably Lucifer, the cherub that covered. And now all of a sudden, there's a new creation above them. Wow. You think that didn't cause issues? I don't know very many people at work that somebody that thinks they should have got the promotion didn't get it. And everybody hates that person because they did. Well, that's the same problem. Well, we find here that God saw it was good. Everything was good. At this point, I don't believe Satan fell. People have asked the question oftentimes, I host a call-in live radio talk show. I don't know how many people are familiar with uh, 89.9 CSN radio. It's all over the United States, all over the world. In fact, this morning, why don't we all say hello to everybody? Okay, one, two, three, say hello. Hello. Okay, thank you. But we have uh, 400 uh, stations or so carrying this this morning, as well as being on the Internet. And we like to let people know how much God loves them. And as we look at this, we, 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 we see that I get uh, uh, this program called to Every Man and Answer. I get a lot of questions that people will uh, oftentimes ask me. When did Satan fall from uh, heaven? 
I think that's a good question. And the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us other than what we can gather from looking at Scripture, like a detective would at a crime scene or at a, at a you know, some, something like that. The one thing we find is, uh, you'll find, and God saw that it was good in his creation. He will go through the days of creation, and God saw that it was good. And what good means is means excellent. It's, there's no problem with it. God put man and woman in the garden. God saw it was good. It's excellent. Now remember this. Six days God created the heavens and the earth. Seventh he rested. And on the eighth day they ate of the tree. On the ninth day they got kicked out. On the tenth day, no, no, it didn't happen like that. It says they were in the garden. That God created it. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. It doesn't tell us. And I think that's really important to realize that they didn't just get up and go, hey, let's go do something really stupid today. No, God knew what he wanted to accomplish in their life. And so uh, we don't know how long they were in the garden before they fell. But evidently, that might have been the time in which, as Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. Now again, the Bible tells us that he's the prince of the power of the air. You need to know your enemy, not for any other reason to understand that he's real. A lot of people don't think the devil's real. He only shows up on the 4th of July wearing, uh, wearing a red suit selling fireworks. You know, no, 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 no not, not that red devil. If, you could, if the devil dressed like that, friends, you could see him coming 100 miles away. You're like, hey, I've seen you before selling fireworks. No, you would know he's coming. But he doesn't do that. He's very discreet. The Bible says he's very deceitful, the father of all lies. And that's what he does. And that's the way he presents himself is that he comes in oftentimes masked as truth. But in reality, he doesn't care how many good jelly beans he gives you as long as he can give you the one that's fallen in the poison. This is one of the great problems. And the Bible tells us he's the prince of the power of the air. Now, where is the devil today? And the reason I'm getting into this as we go along, because everything was good. It ain't ain't bad yet. It's good, okay? Well, the Bible tells us that, uh, that he's the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses them day and night. That's what the devil does. Now, his authority has been removed in heaven. His domain is no longer heaven. He's been cast down. Jesus said that. And so he comes down wreaking havoc on the earth. If you want to know how much havoc he reach, you know, does on the earth, read Job chapter 1. Uh, the Bible says the sons of God, speaking of the angels, were there. And Satan was there also, the Bible says. And God said, where have you been, devil? He goes, I've been out cruising. Probably had his window rolled down. You know when you used to cruise a long time ago on the Boulevard, you always leave the window down about, just leave the window up that much when you cruise. Because that way when you rest your arm on the window glass, it makes it look like you got big muscles. Anyway, just a thought. (laughs) Where you been, devil? I've been out cruising, okay? Big muscles. He goes, what did you find? The whole world is rotten and corrupt and everything. (laughs) He'd been busy. And God said, have you considered my servant Job, an uprighteous, upstanding man in all of his ways? Yeah, well, the only reason he's that way is because you gave him all that good stuff. You take all that good stuff away from you, he'll curse you to your face. And you can read the rest of the book of Job to find out what happens to poor Job as this duel comes on between God betting on Job and the devil bent to destroy him. Like I say, someday you're going to judge angels. Well, friends, again... We have a real enemy. Uh, 
The devil is the accuser of the brethren. His position in heaven is gone. As we studied in Revelation a few weeks ago, his ability to go to heaven and accuse the brethren is going to be finally revoked three and a half years into the tribulation. We won't get into that right now. But the thing is, he's destined for doom, is the point. God made things good. Let's go on. And God said, let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters together he called seas, and he saw that it was good. Now, something amazing. Let's, let's go over. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I would recommend you do it. Go over to the book of Job. Book of Job is before Psalms, and, and you, can, you can come and, and uh, look at this. Here's something really interesting that the Bible says that we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really know up to just about 50 years ago, and the Bible tells us all along. Uh, and by the way, since we just mentioned Job, all of Job's buddies, when all these terrible things happened, they all said, Job, you must have done something terrible. We don't know what you did, but you've done something really bad. And... Um, God spoke to him out of a whirlwind and said, you bunch of miserable counselors, bunch of miserable friends. Notice it says here in um, chapter 38, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's talking to his, so to speak, friends, his comforters that were saying, Boy, Job, you, you ought to just curse God and die. You're a loser, man. Well, Job didn't do anything. It was just something the devil was doing to him. But notice what it says. Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Notice verse 4. This goes along with what we're just reading in, in Genesis chapter 1. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, if you like to mark things in your Bible, circle the S on the end of foundations. This is what we know as what's called tectonic plates. No one would have known that the world was actually, uh, uh, in those days, just one big glob. It wasn't. And notice here, the Bible clearly says, this is God speaking to Job saying, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Well, we know that there's the Pacific plate, the northern plate. There's all these different plates that were all floating around on this, this, this bubbly ball of, of, of molten lava that we call Earth. But here, the Bible says that what we know as Earth has foundations. It's plural, friends, not singular, and that's so important. Tell me if you understand. And who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched out his line upon it? To what were its foundations, plural again, fastened or laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the Son of God shouted for joy? Uh, this is interesting because, again, when God created the earth, some of the angels rejoiced that this was going to be a, a great thing that God did. But it says, he called the dry land, we're going back to Genesis 1.10, he called the dry land earth, and together through the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. 
I put Job 38, 4 through 7 in my Bible right alongside that verse. So that way, uh, if I run into somebody that has trouble with how God made everything, I can point them to that. God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding its seed and the fruit tree that yields according to its kind, whose seed it's in itself on the earth. And it was so. Now notice it says after its own kind. We call that DNA now, friends. Everything reproduces after its own kind. People ask the question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I can solve that for you right now, the chicken. Because everything reproduced after its own kind. Really important, when God created the plants, when he created these things, he created them fully mature. Now, this is important because we find this also in another place in Scripture. The Bible tells us in the book of John, all things were made by him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, without him, not anything that is made was made. So Jesus is the architect for everything that we see. That's a great miracle that God created here, that he's making everything from nothing. But what's even crazier, when we get into the ministry of Jesus Christ, the first miracle he did on earth was, what did he do? He turned the water to wine. Now, why is that significant? Because wine takes time to be wine. It it just does. In fact, the guests even said, most people, you know, when they have a party, they bring out the good wine first, and when everybody's well drunk, then they bring out the inferior wine. But you have kept the best for last. Why is this important? A lot of people, I think, don't even really understand this first miracle that Jesus did. But it's the first miracle where God made his first miracle on earth, Jesus, made something new appear to be old. And when he created the plants, something new, he created to be old or mature. He created the plants fully grown. We're going to see this repetition as we continue to read on here. And and by the way, the reason why Genesis is so important, Jesus quoted more from this book than any other book in the Bible which gives it great credibility, and it is the foundational stone of the Judeo-Christian principles. That's why the evolutionists go after this book so hard in saying that lightning hit a swamp and whammo, here we all are. You know, you just throw a couple of billion light years in there and, you know, the squiggly things, you know, transformed and here we all are. Well, what's wrong with that? You need a lot of time to do that. I've shared this many times before, but they've been measuring the diameter of the sun since 1850. They know how much it shrinks every year. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. Now, I don't want to bore you with sounding like a science teacher, okay? But it simply means this. If you light a candle, you come back in an hour, the candle is not bigger, it's smaller. That's the second law of thermodynamics, the law of diminishing return. It is an established fact. It is not up to arbitrary or subjective ideas. It is an established fact. You light a candle, it gets smaller when you come back. That is established. The diameter of the sun they've been measuring since 1850. If you go back the billions of years you need for evolution, the diameter of the sun is out by Jupiter. And we got a problem here. 
because it would be too hot. If you go back just a few hundred thousand years, the diameter of the sun is too big for life to evolve. It would have burned up. These are things that they don't want you to know in college and in high school about evolutionary ideas because it shoots holes in their theory because evolution is not science. It's a religion based on, and the old signful thing, a religion based on nothing. Well, again, this is the problem. When you have an idea that does not support the other elements of, of, of factual science, like the, like the laws of thermodynamics, and you just make stuff up and sell it to your kids and tell them they're a bunch of monkeys, and now we don't know why our kids in school are acting like monkeys. That's what they've been told. And I'm so glad that during the the uh, early 60s. They were successful in getting, oh, that nasty prayer out of schools. Now we have gun killings regularly in the schools. Oh, and we're all the better for it. You know, you would think somebody, when the train doesn't come into the station on time, they would think, hmm, it must have went off the track somewhere. Well, if once the biggest problems in the 50s were children talking in school and chewing gum... And prayer was there because they had a consciousness that maybe they're just a little bit more to life than existing, like a God who made us. Now, all of a sudden, God's out of the picture. And after all, you're just evolved. Sludge is all you are. So if I kill you, no big deal. Do you see the problem when you begin to really take their ideas and extend them fully into what's going on? This is why we have the problem we have. What you believe is how you live your life. What you believe as a society is how you raise your kids. Is society safer today than it was in the 1950s? No. I remember when I grew up. I, I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, and... Um, if they were to pick Maine up by the, by the end and shake America, all the loose nuts and fruits will all end up there. And I remember when I was a kid, they would lock criminals up and the free people would all run around. We didn't have bars on our windows. We didn't go downtown and see bars on all the storefronts on the glass. But now we don't do that, do we? Now when I go down where I grew up in Pico Rivera in, in, in South Whittier, I go down and now all the people have bars on their windows. They have bars on their doors. The stores all have bars and the criminals all run around free. Think something's gone wrong? What you believe, how you live your life. God says there's more to life than what you see. This is the problem that the evolutionists don't embrace. So as we look at this, he says, And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, herb, yielding seed, fruit trees, and yield the fruit according to its kind, and the seed itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb and yielded seed according to its kind. And the tree yielded its fruit and the seed did self of its kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening and morning were the third day. 
By the way, evening and morning, uh, speaking of the day being a 24-hour period, appears over a hundred times in the Bible, and every time it means uh, a limited, like a 24-hour period of time, just to let you know. Now, people might have problems with that. Well, maybe a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, so we have all this time. uh, Well, what's wrong with that? The next verse will tell you what's wrong with it. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament, in the sky. And the word firmament, for people who don't, it means literally the total expanse of the heavens. Let there be lights in the firmament to divide the day from night. And let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament and heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two lights. The greater light to rule by day, the lesser to rule by night, and he made the stars also. And God set the firmament in the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. I like it. Okay, God makes good stuff. I I, I like that. God made you. That means you're good stuff, you know. God makes good stuff. Notice, he says here, he gave light greater to rule by day, the lesser to rule by night. It's interesting to me that if the moon was any other color than what it is, it wouldn't be of much use. So let's say the moon was made out of black sand. Well, you'd be up there, you kind of might see it, but it doesn't do anything. It is interesting that God did this for times and seasons for us to be able to gauge things by. And, you know, since God created all this, it works right on schedule. still working, just like he designed it to work. Your time makes might not work. Your um, daylight savings time might not have kicked in. But God's time clock is always working. That's something that we can trust. And God saw that it was good. Evening and morning were the fourth day. And God said, let there be waters around with abundance, living creatures. Birds fly above the earth, across the face of the firmament in the earth. Um, So God created giant sea creatures. Every living thing that moves, which was on the water, abounded according to their own, uh, according to their kind. Again, um, cats beget cats, dogs beget dogs. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. (laughs) Wow. God makes everything according to its kind. Do you know, you can take a Great Dane, and you can take a Chihuahua, and they can have puppies. I don't know what you would get, but you get something. But you know what? You can breed a Chihuahua with a a Great Dane forever, and you'll never get a mouse. Now, you think about that for a minute. That's what they expect you to believe in evolutionary science. Now, you have two issues with evolutionary science. And I shouldn't even give it that, that uh, high a regard. It's evolutionary religion. But the first one is, they say, well, in a matter of billions of years, and they throw those numbers out like it's the national debt. I don't know why they do that, but they, they you know, billions of years, a dog became a cat. Do we have any fossil records of this religion being true? None. There are no living examples 
of animals mutating, and there is none in the fossil records. Anywhere. None living, none fossilized. Now, this is a real problem, and it's the number one black eye for evolution because they don't have it. So they come up with all kinds of other ways around it, and I shared this a little bit last week, what's called sudden abruptness. (laughs) Cats and dogs, cats and dogs, cats and dogs, giraffes. That's sudden abruptness. Doesn't happen, doesn't happen anywhere. We have no examples of that. The other problem is, the Bible says everything reproduced after its own type. Actually, the word kind there, type. So, yeah, you're going to have big dogs, small dogs, big horses, small horses, but a horse is a horse. That's the point. You see, you don't have to put your brain in neutral when you walk into church. But you do have to put your brain in neutral when you walk into a college campus. And when you begin to really examine what they believe, it is farther, it takes more faith to believe in what they're teaching you than what the Bible says. And you say, why is that? How does that work? Because you see, the problem is only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. April 1st, National Atheist Day. Um, Only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They want to remove God because if there's a God, what does God want from this creation of his? And you see, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end there's destruction. And the thing is, is that the problem is you don't have to wait till you're dead to realize that destruction that's gone on in your life. In other words, we're not seeing... As an example, we can't say, well, God, you know, as I look at my life, it's good. As I look at my life, it's a mess. Well, we like to blame, I've been under too much stress. You know, I'm going to get up and change the world somehow. But the problem is, we still have that same nagging that something's not right. And I believe God did this, and I believe God created the earth in order in a number of days to show us not everything happens in our life. And this is for you as Christians. Not everything happens immediately when you become a Christian. I had a guy come to me one time, and he said, Mike, he says, I accept the Lord. I said, that's great. And he goes, he goes but I, I still got a lot of problems in my life. And I said, welcome to real life. And I said, how long have you been living apart from God? Well, I accept the Lord when I was 43 years old. And how, and, and, and how long ago was that? How long ago did you accept Christ as your Savior? Two months ago. So you've been out messing your life up for 43 years, and you give God a whole eight weeks to try to straighten it all out. You're being so generous. But something that does happen... The Bible says immediately we pass from death unto life. No longer I, Paul says, live, but Christ who lives within me. This is why being born again is not some illogical, goofy idea. Again, parking your brain in the parking lot, you know, when you walk into church. No, you don't have to do that. One of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true, not only do I see the prophecies that have come true and the ones I see are coming true right now, But I agree with God on the true nature of man. That man by nature is sinful. Have I seen that in my own life? Yes. You know when you sin, doesn't make you a sinner? Doesn't that make you feel good? It proves what you are. (laughs) And we need a Savior. 
See, that's the problem. Because we have created, because of our sin, a separation from God. Now, God wants to work in our life, but we're going, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. You know, this is the problem. We're always fighting God. God says, you know, if you surrender to me, you'll be happy. You'll have a joy. It doesn't mean mean that everything in your life you're going to immediately like, but you're going to see why I did it. Okay. So that means I've got to trust you, huh? Exactly. That's what we do when we trust God, is we're saying, God, no longer I live, but you live your life now through me. I want to be about what you want me to do, because it's the only thing that's going to matter in the long run anyway. You drive by the cemetery out here, a memorial park on one side, an old-fashioned cemetery on the other, with the creepy gravestones and all that kind of stuff. I wonder how many of those people, if they could live today, would say, oh, misdirected affections will destroy you every time. We can major on the minor, minor on the majors, and we end up living our life looking back in retrospect going, what a waste. This is what happened to Solomon in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, all vanity, vanity, all is vanity, for nothing, for nothing, all is for nothing. Now this is from the perspective of someone that doesn't know God. But when you become a Christian, I'll tell you something, friends. There's a lot of things in my life I've done that I regret. But I have never regretted one thing I have ever done for God. Ever. Because I know that's going to last forever. The Bible says even a cup of cold water in his name bears a reward. Sometimes we think, oh, God only rewards the big things like a Billy Graham crusade. No, the Bible says whatever God's called you to do, and you do that, God will then reward you for eternity. And he's the one that inspired you to do it in the first place, and then rewards you as if you're the one that did it. That's great economics, friends. But that's the way God works. So letting God be God in our life, that's an important thing. If God created everything, I believe he did. I believe as you look at the real intricacies of creation... The amount of gravity that we have, the, the, the atmosphere that we have, the nitrogen and the oxygen. If levels were higher in either one of those, life wouldn't exist. If we were, let's say, a, a, a few hundred thousand miles closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If we was a few hundred thousand miles farther away from the sun, we'd all freeze up. We're exactly where we have to be. It is not an accident. It cannot. Randomness never produces order. That's like, like going out where, uh, in the, down south where a hurricane comes in and, and wipes out a town, you know, and, and levels all the buildings and everything's gone. And you walk over and you pick up this watch, beautiful watch, it's ticking, and you go, a direct result of the hurricane. That's randomness, and they're trying to make you believe that something intricate happens. It can't. It doesn't. It's never worked. It's never proven to work. And yet that's what's being sold to our world is how we all got here. Yeah, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, again, I shared this last week, but I think it's worth repeating. One of the crazy things that you'll oftentimes find is uh, the global warming people. By the way, it's global cooling. There's a great book called... um, um, uh, I'll think of it in a second. Um, Dark Winter. 
Dark Winter, I believe the author was Morris. But anyway, he's a NASA scientist. He studies sunspots. He said, we are not entering into global warming. We're entering into global cooling. And we're on a a 35-year life cycle or sun cycle sunspots. And he said, watch, it's going to continue to get colder. And, And he wrote the book, and he's right so far. Now, the point is, is this. Species are going extinct. We've got to save the planet. Hey, you're an evolutionist. What, you, what, what are you all on about? There's going to be a whole bunch of new species because evolution is controlling everything. So why am I worried about, you know, the spotted turtle going into extinction when evolution's going to make a whole new rainbow-colored turtle? You see, when you look at their logic, they even contradict themselves. If species are going extinct, but you believe in evolution, there's going to be new ones to replace the old ones. No biggie. Isn't it good that you know God? That you can see through their lies? That I can look at the Bible and I can say, yes, God, I agree with what you say the nature of human beings are. We're in desperate need of a Savior. By the way, friends, the Ten Commandments was never meant to justify you. It was meant to show you how desperately you need a Savior. See, that's the good news. That's the good news of the Gospel. That Jesus paid the price that was required by the law. I found in Him, the Bible says, we're clothed in His righteousness. That's this morning. You know, we have communion here. And we do this the first Sunday of, of the month. And then afterwards... We go across the hall and we got chicken and dumplings, all kinds of good things there. You're all invited to stay. I know you'll enjoy it. But, but the thing is, is that this is what Jesus said to remember me by. I know a lot of people like religious icons. And I, I, I think that's okay. As long as you're not worshiping it or think that, you know, Jesus is watching you, that picture, he's staring at you over there. You know, no. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And why was that? Because as he holds up the cup, he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. I am taking your place. Wow. Somebody loved me enough to take my punishment? That's a pretty good deal. Okay. What's it going to cost? How much money? Get out the wallets. All right. How much? No, it doesn't cost anything. Well, okay, get the mirror out. I want to look really good for this. <laughs> Not much is going to help me. But anyway, that's another old point. I, I, you know, God only called the good looking. No. It says, whosoever will may come. Jesus holds up the cup and said, this, my blood was shed for you. Was it in fact shed for you? That's the question. Have you accepted what God's done for you? Have you said, you know, I lived my life long enough to know that I'm spinning my wheels And I need something different in my life. That's what Jesus came to do. This morning, if you've never asked Christ into your life, the Bible says we need to repent. And what we repent from is the foolish way we've lived, and we embrace what he wants us to do. I I don't have room in my life or you to do to serve two masters. We just don't. 
So God says, I'm going to help you. And you say, well, I, I might fail as a Christian. I guarantee you probably will. That's why First John says, if we uh, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a relationship with God who's going to keep cleaning us and keep filling us. Why do we have to be continually filled with the Spirit? Because I leak a lot. But that doesn't stop God. God says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to put my blessing upon you, and I'm going to see you through this. This morning, that's what God wants. Jesus then held up the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is broken. This is my body broken for you. Peter tells us as well in the Old Testament that his body was broken so we could be healed. You need to be healed today. You say, well, Mike, I feel fine. I don't have a flu or nothing. No, your heart needs to be healed. Your ability to love, your ability to be loved, the way you look at other people, the way you think about life, yes, we need to be healed, friends. Because the old world has a way of junking us up pretty good. And God says, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to bless you and make you brand new. That's what God does. This morning as we have communion, as you feel that bread and those rough edges on the broken, broken unleavened bread, You might think of something in your life that really seems to stick out and bother you. Maybe the thing that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, bother, runs through your head over and over and over and over again. That's what God wants to touch. That's the healing touch of God. You need that. I need that. In fact, I found in my life, even as a Christian, there's never a point in my life that I don't need that. That's why King David said his promises are new every morning. If you're not a Christian here today, this is a, actually a meaningless ceremony rather than a sacred sacrament of Jesus touching and healing you. But you can be born again because it just is where we make a declaration of faith. All the way through the Bible, you'll see him. The thief on the cross looks over at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that great to know? It wasn't a, a, a long process of joining the church and doing rituals and jumping through hoops and reciting mantras and all the other religious things that religion often tells you you've got to do to have a relationship with God, where the Bible says simply believe. Accept what God's done. Not to just acknowledge, but say, okay, God, I'm going to put my faith, hope, and trust in you. If you want to do that this morning, you want to get right with God, people listening, um, on the internet and watching us on Facebook, you need to do this too. And so you can pray right now. We can pray together and we can ask God to change your life, change everyone's life in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I come to you in Jesus' name and I ask you to forgive me of the foolish way I've lived. From this day forward, I commit my life into your hands to make me the best I can be for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so now I commit my life, the rest of my life, into your hands. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. And help me live each day for you. In Jesus' name, amen.